Hey guys, this is oh, Ro- what? I'm so loud. You're always saying that. I have to say it loud. I have to say it clear. Oh, it was clear. Go ahead. I won't grimace this time. <laughs> hey guys, this is Rob and welcome to question number 26. Does craft beer belong to white men? That's a pretty ballsy title. Mm-hmm. Especially because... You're a white man. Who loves craft beer. <laughs> You're a walking cliche. Where do you live? In the city. Do you have a house? Apartment. On a rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. Do you have kids? No, I don't. How come? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. Happy 2018, everyone. Happy New Year's. Hope you had a great holiday. Okay, I'm saying this because I've been listening to other podcasts. I love I love listening to podcasts. And I feel like a lot of the people on the podcast that I listened to said, hey, happy 2018. We're back. And so as awkward as it is to break the third wall mm. and talk about the people listening right now, when you and I are sitting in our dining room table with a dead Christmas tree. It's beautiful. It's, I am colorblind and I know that color is brown. And all the- All the branches are turning down. <laughs> they are, but still worth a real Christmas tree. And you get on top of that. So any of you that are jumping into your 2018 top of the year to do's maybe you are quitting your new year's resolutions already hope it's going well is that a lame thing to say is this lame uh, maybe a little all right before we move on let's get something out of the way i am constantly asked by people people approaching me i get approached on buses i get approached on planes i um i'm i think i know what you're about to say i am what do you think i'm gonna say i think you're gonna talk about how people say how tall are you no Oh, <laughs> that, that is something that is a what constant else do people question. approach you about the second question. The first question that comes to mind, whether I am walking over skyways in a downtown city, whether I am longboarding in Hawaii, whether I am surfing off the coast of New York, huh. <laughs> people approach me and they say, number one, how tall are you? Second question out of their mouths typically. So are you guys really sponsored at the podcast? And to that, I say... Why? What makes you say that? <laughs> That's good. I am so thankful that we don't have to deal with sponsors on this podcast because then I'd probably have to do something like product placements. I don't know. Talk about how much I love something. But you don't have to do that. Nope. Jackie Guinness. Um. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> mm. Looks good. Looks as good as a glass of mother's milk. <laughs> Ew! You had to say it. I did. Have you you ever sat and gazed into a glass of warm mother's milk? (laughs) Yes. Hmm. Tastes like Guinness. Starting off a new year Mm. is a lot of work. And nothing... How is it a lot of work? I don't know. Nothing changes. Well, starting new things. Mm. I feel like there's way more intentionality at the beginning of a new year. You hit the ground running, right? I suppose people think they do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> nothing quenches a New Year's thirst mm. 
like a Guinness. That I would agree to. I am so thankful we don't have to deal with sponsors or else I would have to tell you that... Guinness is brown. (laughs) (laughs) Side note. (laughs) That was totally random and unscripted. But did you know, Sarah, that Guinness oftentimes is talked about being as being black? Most people say it is. I do know this fact. What is you can finish it then. It is in fact not black, but a sort of reddish color. Sarah's sitting here at the table holding up her Guinness to the light. It didn't work. Did they say ruby red? I don't know what the color is. It was some kind of, you know, theatrical version of red. Mm. Anyways, moving on. This is a heavy topic for the podcast. If you're listening for the first time on this podcast, haven't checked out any of the other episodes, I sit down with people that I find intriguing to try to get past what it is they do and find out who they are and why they do it and even some of the things that have led them there in their life. Chusha is an awesome example of that. She's a friend of ours. And I knew that I just need, I really wanted to sit down with her and talk to her and hear her life story because of a few things she said, and I want to hear her perspective. We spent a lot of time with her and her husband, who own a brewery in Northeast Minneapolis called Boom Island. I mean, we've even met up with them overseas last year. Oh yeah, we met up with them overseas. We go overseas all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, but I see happened- through you like a piece of saran wrap, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but no, we did. We just we happened did. to be in Belgium at the same time. How did that work out? Anyways, did you find... I found cheap tickets. I bought them. I said, Tusha, look at these cheap tickets. You should buy them. Because they're in Belgium all the time. Mm-hmm. They own a Belgian brewery, and that came out of a love of Belgian beers and relationships with different brewers that they have overseas. So they're constantly traveling back and forth. Found out we we're going to be in Belgium at the same time. Met up with them. Toured an awesome Belgian brewery. What happened to be one of my all-time favorite Belgian beers Mm. and it was just like a bucket list thing. They're awesome. We've known them for a few years now and I've had these interactions and conversations with Chusha and I'm fascinated by her story and I talked to her I sat her down I said listen you need to let me visit you at the brewery sit down with a couple of microphones and properly just hear your life story. I mean she grew up in China traveled here and ended up playing French horn for the Minnesota Orchestra and a bunch of other orchestral stuff. She and her husband own a brewery in the cities. And I feel like I would want to say, this is for everybody in transition. We talk about the transition from music to that. That was actually the main reason we sat down, is to talk about her transition from something she studied her entire life. It got her from China to the US, this whole music thing. And she completely transitioned into owning a brewery. But the whole conversation ended up changing and turning to talking about, I guess, just discrimination. I mean, it's not just about discrimination. And probably gender stereotypes and yes. and racial stereotypes, which is discrimination. Just everything <laughs> goes into it. And, and yeah. in this case, since it kind of went down the discrimination path, right, uh, that I feel like I am the perfect person to talk about because... Because you're so persecuted. <laughs> I'm so persecuted. I'm a white dude in the Midwest. Uh, life is so hard. I was just curious. Like, what is the actual definition of discrimination. It's defined as the unjust or prejudicial treatment of different categories of people or things, especially on the grounds of race, age, or sex, right? So discrimination is an action. But something that Chusha and I got into is talking about the mindset of discrimination. She, I think she even called it the subtleties of discrimination, mm. that she, as a Chinese woman, is aware of 24-7 living in the U.S., constantly, in every social scenario. Microaggressions, that's what they're called. Microaggressions, Mm. what does that mean? 
So an example was given to me was you're an African-American person and you're sitting at a restaurant and someone else is sitting near you. And when you sit down, they pull their purse closer to them. Mm. Or I even found myself doing something similar once where I was, I was like downtown at night and there was this kind of sketchy looking guy. And so I moved my purse to the other side of my body. It was like a reflex. So it's like, it's like those little nuanced things that the term is microaggression. Man, see, I just feel like the biggest idiot because I sure have heard that term before, but mm-hmm. it's not on my radar as an everyday. I think because I've been thinking about it the past couple of years, I'm, I'm aware of when I, when I do a microaggression, yeah. but I think a lot of it is, it, it doesn't mean anything when you do it. You're not being blatantly discriminatory to someone, but it's, it again is like kind of that the subtleties of the whole thing. It's yeah. like brought up into how you were raised and into your worldview. For anybody listening to this podcast for the first time, they know that every intro, we ask Sarah a question. And that question comes from you, the listeners, and it can be found in the comments of iTunes. Go to iTunes, whatever you're listening to this on, rate, comment, and subscribe. Five stars only. In the comment section, instead of, I mean, I love... I'm so honored when people leave me a comment and they say, oh man, I love this podcast and they talk about it, whatever it is, that's great, you rule. Here's what I really want. I want a question for Sarah that we can ask her. <laughs> this week, I want to do something different and my, my, the question was going to come from me, which you kind of already answered. My question for you is this. Being a woman in the same age, life, area as me, mm-hmm. a white dude, has there been a time that comes to mind where you were subtly discriminated against or had a microaggression done towards you? Because of you being a woman. Right. I have a really old one. It's just really random. So when I was in eighth grade, I was a part of like my church youth group. And they had the leaders or whoever had invited the boys and their dads to go paintballing as a group on Saturday mornings. And it wasn't limited to boys, but it was only offered to boys. And so I thought it sounded like fun. And so I wanted to go, but, and I ended up going, but it wasn't offered to me and it was like a really big deal. Really? And then more girls came. So I was pretty proud of that. Did they, when you, they be, would. Was it just an, a subconscious thing on their mind? Where they, they just assumed that assume? no girl would be interested. Yeah. Oh. Thanks for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Before we go on. We have the podcast hotline. What the podcast hotline is, it is a glorified voicemail. If you are a woman or somebody or anybody that feels like you have a story of like a microaggression, something I'm going to be thinking about over the next couple weeks, I would love for you to call in to the podcast hotline, leave a voicemail, tell me your story, keep it short, uh, leave your name, where you're from, and we'll put you on the podcast. Or if there's just anything from this podcast episode that you feel like you relate to or you have like some insight you want to add to it? I'd love to hear from you. The podcast hotline, a.k.a. glorified voicemail, is 612-584-9330, or it's in all the links and show notes on social media and the website for this. By the way, if you are checking out social media, if you're wanting to check out the website, it's thecuriouspod.com. Swing over there, especially if this is your first time checking out new pod. Maybe your New Year's resolution is checking out new podcasts for the new year. Check out the website. It's awesome. There's a map showing where all these interviews have taken place. Side note, this interview took place in a working brewery. So there's some background noise. (laughs) But I Uh, like that Kevin was just working in the background. (laughs) Let's just just get into my interview with Chusha Welsh at Boom Island Brewing. This is awesome. 
This is sweet. <laughs> Just keep making things. Ah, oh, I'm pumped. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's good. Uh, let's get into my interview with Chusha. Sweet. I'll give. I'll give you. I'll give you uh, a moment to throw out a few of yours. All right. Shazam! It's time to quit blabbering and just jump into my interview with Chusha Welsh. Cowabunga, dude! Oh my gosh, you're not even trying. <laughs> give me something real. I am trying. That's good material. Kablow! <laughs> This is dumb. All right. <laughs> you put me on the spot. I know. I love putting you on the spot. <laughs> it was good. I'm just interviewing people that I find inspiring to me. Okay. And I'm curious about, and I feel like I and other people have something to learn from. So what am I, what am I inspiring? Oh man, a million things. But one, okay. the biggest thing is, what do you want I, I want to start with talking about, we chatted like a month ago. And we were standing outside, and you mentioned, um, you mentioned being a woman in the brewing industry. Okay. And some of the situations you ran into. Right. This brewing industry is primarily white, male right. led. Right. Yes. And so yes. I'm fascinated to hear your perspective. Okay. On that. Yeah, and if that you makes know, sense. I had an experience not even just in the brewing industry. I mean, when I was a brass player. Oh yeah. I mean. Being, yes. a, being a woman? Being a, an Asian woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because I belong to violin yeah. or flute, oh, yeah. you know. I'm mean, back at Way Up. Okay, Way Up. Sichuan province of China. Is that uh-huh. where you grew up? Yes. I think? Yes. Okay. Did you have brothers and sisters? No, I'm a single child. Are you really? I didn't know that. Because I don't know if you guys know about this single child policy in China. That was actually... Um, it was a policy, it was never a law. So yeah. because China had way, there was a population problem. At that time, I think we already have like, I don't know, same, same amount of people as US right now. Yeah. Know, 300. Yeah. I don't know how many. But anyways, so we realized, oh my gosh, you know, because right after the war, Soviet Union had this like a heroin mom, have kids, you know, so like my grandma, my mom's mom, she had 11 kids. So that's very common. Oh, man. So you're like, because... Do you have a ton war, of cousins and aunts and uncles? Right, so yeah. I grew up with a big family. So Because after war, we need people, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people died, and so people just keep making babies. And then by the 70s, people are like, okay, there's a problem. So they have this policy, but, but it might as well be a law. So they give... What's the difference between a policy and a law with that? The law, like, you, if you have two kids, you literally could go to jail. But this, they make life difficult. You don't go to oh, jail. For like, example, what ways would they... Right. For example, if you have a second child, your child literally go. It's like underground kid because its kid, kid is not going to have an ID. What? You know, you can't go to school. I mean, you can have 10 kids running around, but... They're like we call them hey who like there would be hey like, who? like like yeah. hey hey means like underground the dark like the dark invisible kids yeah yeah so that's where really I was born you know single uh, child man. was there ever a law that you couldn't it no. was just more of a policy and that's now why I didn't know. they actually start to loosen up they're okay. actually encouraging yeah. people to have more kids because yeah. now it's becoming a problem yeah. Um, because in China, we are about your your children are your social security, basically. Yeah, yeah. So you would have a couple would literally have to take care of four Man. parents. Oh yeah. 
for the two kids. Right. For you know, oh, so man, that's I've a lot. I've never thought of that. Oh. Right. So then they becoming such a burden. Yeah. So my generation in the forties, right, early forties now. So just because now we don't happen to have kids, but my friends in China mm-hmm. have kids now, so they have like this kid, and then they have four parents. They're the single. So yeah. so then they started to gradually loosen up, which is really funny because they first started. They say, okay, if you're educated, you can keep have kids. So they're like selectively, like making sure like okay, so if the you have extra college, kids yes. are smart. So if you have a college degree, you can have multiple kids. I think a masters. Masters. Yeah, like oh. you can have like it's two my- kids, two kids. <laughs> so like it's like you're literally yeah. selecting. Oh man, but it's kind of funny. oh yeah. But anyways, then that like that wasn't enough because yeah, yeah. You know, people have higher degrees. They tend to be older. They mm-hmm. tend to marry older and then and all that. Then they're like, okay, I'm 35. I'm not married. How can I have three kids? You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, yeah. So then, then they then they went. If you're both single, you can have more kids. So if, if I marry both- not single, like the uh-huh. only child. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you're an only child and I'm your husband though, is, yeah. then you can have two. Right. Okay. So now, and then that kind of really didn't work. People are like, that well, makes no you know, sense. yeah, like for my generation, a lot yeah. of actually, friend, my friends do have, they're yeah. likely to be the younger one. Okay. So, so they do have siblings already. Yeah. Then finally, two years ago, they go like, all bets off. Go have babies. <laughs> Do whatever you want. <laughs> so everybody having tons of kids right now? No, because oh. nobody can afford. Oh, yeah. So the joke is, so the generation, like my generation, yeah. we're like, we always want kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now we're in our 40s. We're like, we're tired or we're old. Like, yeah. don't have energy, can't afford. And then the younger couples, they're like, I can't afford. It's too expensive. Yeah. And I can barely take care of one kid. Yeah. So oh, it's just so funny. Man, when I'm thinking about you being an only child and that is the social security you said were your parents when you said you wanted to move to America were your parents supportive of that or they did they try to get you to stay in China they initially I don't think they knew what that meant yeah I was this you know 16 17 year old girl just yeah. say I want to do this my family came from a very humble family working class you know um, they're like yeah no way. We're talking about early 90s, yeah, which yeah. China just started to open up in the 80s. Yeah. We're talking about, we were listening, the first song I ever heard was Michael Jackson. It's like, oh. I can beat it. I mean, I yeah. remember we like... You could, you're getting like music from the outside world all of a sudden. Right. Oh. MTV. We used to yeah. skip school to watch MTV. Oh, man. So... And that was just happening in your generation. Right. Okay, so how, what about classical music then? Was that allowed? Were you studying classical music when you were younger, I'm assuming? Yes, it was allowed when, by the time I went to school, but during Cultural Revolution. I don't know if people even yeah. know about that. Basically, say we need peasants to work, to be the, to be the guide and to be the... Yeah. So, and if you're educated, you yeah. learn any Western things, in, oh, instruments yeah, yeah. that you're sent to farm, and because you're yeah. supposed to learn yeah. how to be farmers. Yeah, that farmers. Form of control. 
Right, so that yeah. was a crazy time. And also we had Chairman Mao, which was a dictator. Yeah. In, you know, so he had all the country people literally have to worship him before they shit. <laughs> I'm serious. Are you serious? Like they have this little red, red yeah. book, right? <laughs> they have to dance. Like you've had work. Yeah. Before you go to work, before you work, everybody goes, ah, long live Chairman Mao, they yeah. dance. So it's a crazy society for 10 years. The channel was super closed. Now he died in 1974. Yeah. Okay. So then gradually opening up yeah so you could remember when oh, yeah. stuff started coming through, over I lived through hard times yeah. I mean it, my parents even harder yeah and um, so we I was born actually during Cultural Revolution Cultural Revolution ended in 76 okay so so by the time you were like at what age did you start playing was French horn uh, your first 88 Okay. 88. There was okay. my elementary school. I went to like this super nice, like supposedly best elementary school um, in town. And in 80, 88, there was a bunch of band instrument of all the weird things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where they came from. Yeah. Came. Yeah. And um, just few, you know, flute, trumpets, yeah. trombones. And so, like, People, the, the music teachers were selecting, of course, we're China, you don't get to choose. Yeah. So, get picked everything, and then there's this horn, French horn, nobody yeah. really knew what that was. Yeah. Right? So then all they knew is difficult, and um, and you somebody have to have good ears with good music. Like intonation, right. big, yeah. Exactly. And in a way, in the musical talents, natural yeah. talents. So I was very much in the arts and, and all that and so my teacher just came home with this big suitcase at that time it's like huge suitcase just huge for you of this yeah. is like this is your instrument was it a full size I'm sure right, they didn't yeah, have like because the French horn doesn't yeah. have different sizes I oh mean, I actually didn't know that there's just one size yeah. Yeah, yeah so I was like a tiny probably like a 50 pound little thing you yeah. know I have no idea and came <laughs> and she said this is your instrument we opened up like oh my gosh what is this nobody yeah. knew what that was yeah. you know, everybody kind of know what trumpet flute oh, yeah. you know it's some sort of trumpet right yeah. you know like this thing was huge. I mean, literally humongous. I was like so, the size of I you. couldn't put the horn together because it was like a screw bell. My mom mm -hmm. had to do that every time for me. Every time you went to practice, you had yeah, to like, screw like, Mom, the bell get the bell together. Get yeah. the horn, put, put the horn together. Oh, man, that's so funny. Yeah, so that was, I mean, it was such a, I mean, it's a really funny story because that yeah. this is her instrument. We're like, whoa, that's kind of scary. She's a little girl. At that time, yeah. no women were playing brass really? instrument in China. Okay, because you have told me about that. I'm, so, yeah. I'm before I knew you and Kevin. I didn't know much about like, the French women stuff yeah. at all, and I didn't realize the thought of being a woman playing French horn. Boy, China is even. was at that time in the '80s. I mean, I was because you just don't people don't think you have enough I power. Was like kind of first like yeah. physically, it's not like a woman thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. physically, I mean, just like people think that she's gonna cough, you know, <laughs> cough a blood. Yeah, and then can she actually blow through that thing? Okay. I mean, just physically dealing with it yeah, yeah. as a woman. Yeah. There's only like one teacher in the whole Southwest China of millions and billions of people. And so I went to him, he's like, I don't really teach amateurs. Oh yeah. Because he was a professor at the Conservatory of Music. I don't teach amateurs. So if you want to study, well, let's try a month. I won't charge you. you know? Oh really? Let's try a month. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was kind of okay. Yeah. Then, and I said, okay. And then, well, I don't teach amateurs, so that means if you study with me, this is like your profession. Yeah. You never You're taking up. it seriously. This is like, you got to go to the conservatory prep school, yeah. you go to conservatory. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you will be the next generation of a classical music 
um, teachers or yes. performance for China. Yeah, yeah. Right? I had no idea what that means. Because yeah, I, okay, so I, I was curious about that too. Of it's ten years I have old. this stereotype of if I have the stereotype of like the Chinese young child musician whose parents like make them practice every day yeah. and that, I don't know and it's totally a stereotype well, that's but probably true. for a reason of like right. your parents forcing you to practice super hard my parents this, never really forced me because we were so poor I knew this was the only way out okay out of China out of uh, to get education yeah, yeah. because in China it's very difficult to go to college because yeah. we have this big test yeah yeah and only certain because the college was free at that time now it's different yeah then pretty much if you go to college you pretty much will have a job like you are set yeah, yeah. but now it's different of course it's very commercial it's very much oh, like this man. system but I can't imagine how hard it would be I just get this thought of I mean, if you come from an educated family or a non-educated family, how hard to break out oh, yeah. of the non-educated because it's all against you it, in China. Right. The only way you can do it is through education. And I mean, that is why even Chinese families in this yeah. country, it's the same. Yeah. Because the only way to go to be better is through education. To become a doctor, to mm -hmm. become a, a lawyer, through education. So so when I said, oh, I want to go to United States, America, my parents didn't know anything. Only yeah. thing they knew is I want, I said, I want to like advance my English. Yeah. I want to go to like extra classes, night yeah. classes, yes. you know, take TOEFL. They're like, whoa, you want to study? Sure. <laughs> go, for <it. laughs> yeah, go for it. I will pay for oh, yeah. extra classes in Sichuan University. Yeah. So they didn't really think it was possible mm -hmm. because at that time getting a visa, study, student visa yeah. to come to this country was literally impossible. Really? It's impossible. I mean, to have a study visa. So how come. did it work for you? Did I was very lucky. You just luck? I was very lucky. I just went because they also thought there was no way she's going to get oh, yeah. a visa, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. They never said no. Yeah, Even yeah. to that step. Yeah. To accomplish me, to U.S. consulate, to stand outside for hours, to get an interview, to, to oh. receive a visa. I mean, my mom Man. did that with me, and yeah. so anyway, so I was lucky. The whoever interviewed me, I guess, thought Liked you. I would be a good student or whatever. Yeah. Or he was in a good mood. Yeah. You know? It just lined up. Yeah. And I came out. I know. My, my, That's I was crazy. like, Mom, I'm going to U.S. I don't think my mom even knew what that was. Yeah. I, she didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I'm going to the U.S. I'm going to, what does that mean? We're like, oh shit, there's no money. <laughs> yeah, so totally. they start to we sell everything. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, it's really sad. Oh, man. Like whatever we they could find. We had a piano. Yeah. My, my dad, they, they, were, they didn't have much money, so, but they were able to buy me a piano, which I don't know how they did it, which yeah. was amazing. We were poor, but they never saw. But in, if anything for music, yeah. education, yeah. they made it happen. That is fun. It's funny how you... When you get older, you start realizing like the sacrifices your parents made, you know. And then you have, you a, have this eighteen-year-old like dying to get out. Yeah, yeah. Like dying to be independent, go to the world to see the world. Yep. And and then you have parents who they hit so well over mm -hmm. their anxiety and then all that. Yeah. So now that my dad sold his camera sets, he was a oh, really good um, amateur photographer. Really. He had like at that time in the '90s in China to have a professional camera with lens this long. Yeah. So and everybody in my family gave me money. Yeah. 
Really? All like your relatives? Well, your 11 oh, yeah. aunts and uncles. Like you have, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you have, if you feel better off, you give a little bit more. You're not yeah, ever, yeah. you give a little bit less. People were giving me clothes yeah. and scarves. I mean, like, yeah. you name it. So literally, the family sent me. Yeah. And they never did that in front of me. They gave to my mom. I came to U.S. with two suitcases without a horn because my horn was a Chinese-made horn. But it wasn't oh, yeah. even working. So you, can, you didn't even come with the horn? You didn't no, even bring that? No, I didn't have a horn because oh. my, I came with the two suitcases, $300 cash my mom sewed in my underwear. Really? Yeah. She sewed it? That's so cliche. <laughs> like literally sewing it in your underwear so no one would steal it. That's all the money. Oh, that's how I came. That's it. You, and to study music. Yeah. That was your focus. They was, only was had enough money to buy me a ticket Yeah. and $300 cash. To what? come here, and um, then I think I didn't really have my own horn until yeah. I was in graduate school. Crazy, that's not, I mean the world of. Oh man, it's, I think uh, until I met Kevin, actually, yes, because Kevin helped after we're married yeah. to have a really professional horn. Yes, I just had a school horn. Really, like school grade horn. Um, not until, which was after graduate school. Yeah, yeah. And we bought a kind of professional horn. Oh, man. Yeah. That is Kevin with the hookup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, man, it's so funny because I, now uh, I am the music scene and world that I'm in that's so non classical and pop sure. rock. Mm-hmm. It, like, I think of college students, how I was in college, whatever. Everybody's like, getting different guitars and buying so you how many guitars do you have oh you got like five guitar right. or like all these right. pedals and stuff and the thought of no you are borrowing one and your your future is just dependent purely on your skill on right. that one right oh yeah. man and okay. i was never into so i think that is why maybe that is why i was never into gadgets okay I was never into what mouthpiece, what this gadget finger hook. You know, okay, what, so there is this, that in classical music. Like, of course. Like oh, the yeah. Nerd, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Of course. You know, the special chapstick, you know. That'll <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> make you play high notes better. You yeah, know, there's yeah. a special pinky <laughs> ring, you know. <laughs> can play high C five times better. I prefer but. this hand moisturizer because it right. resonates and I put <laughs> right. it into the bell. Yeah, right. yeah. So I was really never into that. Yeah. I was. I think yeah. maybe that's why now I think of it. I never thought of it that way. You just were like, I'm just gonna get as good Give as possible with what yeah. I have. Oh man. Okay, so um, I mean, a minute ago, this is just so fascinating to me. The thought of you were talking about being a girl in no. China, no. and that's like, oh man, you're playing French horn. That's right. Gonna be, did you was that same stigma here in the U.S. when you were gigging out? The the fact that you were a girl. Playing French horn is that primarily a male thing here in the U.S. still too? Of course, yeah. really. There were orchestras in the world and didn't allow women to play until very recently. Vienna Philharmonic. Really, I didn't it was know big that. news. They, I, I don't know how many years ago. Very recently, to have women play. I mean, play anything. Play anything. I didn't know that. It's an all male orchestra. Really. I mean, to have a woman brass player. I mean. Maybe a handful, maybe a little bit more now than yeah. women brass players in a major U.S. orchestra. Crazy. Handful. Man, so how did you, was it ever discouraging or did you ever just, did you always just use it for like fire to like inspire you just to like, because you're so feisty. 
I am, but at the same time, I think I didn't know what that was. It was very interesting. I didn't realize yeah, yeah. that I was discriminated against until afterwards. Okay. It's it's just really funny because people always say, "Oh, what do you play?" Yeah. You know, oh, you know, violin or piano or you know, yeah, and I play wind instrument, flute. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, if there was a time when you were like, is, can you think of like a specific time looking where you looked back and you realized, oh, like they were discriminating against me like back then. Well, but in the music world, it happens all the time. You, that's why they do uh, behind the screen auditions. Oh yeah, I guess I, I don't know about that. So what are beside what are behind the scene? So for behind or the screen any, auditions, any orchestra job. Really? Every audition is behind screen, so people don't know. So you actually have carpets when you walk in, so people can't hear. So it's you'll be on the stage; it is a screen. You don't know. So for the listeners, yeah, just because of that, because it was discrimination against people. Okay, describe to me that transition between you've got fifty students, you're gigging, yeah. and doing this. How did that come about? I think it was. Was that an overnight thing or a slow no. thing? No. I think that was probably the hardest thing both Kevin and I have to live through. We were trying in the very, very beginning. We were trying to grab hold of that, yeah, right, because yeah. that is who we were. Oh yeah, that's what people so who much knew. identity. Is yes, that, yeah. oh, who we knew who we were. You're talking my language right yeah. now. What yeah, you, the horn player, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, horn, New musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when I introduce it, what do you do? I'm a horn player. Yeah. Right now, I don't know. You know, people say, "What do you do?" I make beer, but it doesn't matter. But yeah, for yeah. us, it's a transition. To for me, it took a long time. I I can't speak for Kevin, but at least our journey took a. We were very afraid to tell. Our musician friends—that's what we were going to do. Oh, really? Because we were that afraid that they would judge us as uh, the big F word. Yes. Failure. Yes. As oh, musicians. Man. Totally. Man, there's something that word like—it's uh, an ego thing. It's in, in my of world course. too. Like, oh, so you do it full time? The thought of even if it, having a slow month, there's something in the ego that says, "Well, maybe I'm having a slow few months, so I'm going to get a part-time job." That's like the ultimate failure. It's like I the pride of being able to say, though, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never, you're like, so what do you, I'm a horn player, I teach a bunch of students. Like, you can't really get you, I, yeah. Yeah, I totally. Get yourself there to say that. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so you start, you start making beer, and now all of a sudden you find yourself, you told them, like, this is what we're doing. We tried to do both. Yeah. But we couldn't. Because okay. that's a, the how we started was very physical. Oh, yeah. Start from nothing, so it would. We knew like your nothing. Parents exactly. Yeah, we yeah. knew nothing, so yeah. we were literally learning as we go. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, physically and mentally and everything, we just couldn't do both. I mean, yeah. if you want to be on a certain level of a musician, of a French horn player, it means you need to have. You need to devote yourself certain hours a day. Oh, man. You need to wear a different hat, yeah. which is. Which, hard. by the way, what is a certain amount of hours a day? What's the minimum you think if you're going to be a pro horn player? Oh, I think you need a couple of hours at least to just yeah. maintain. Yeah. And also, besides that, you need to spend time listening, studying, reading. Yeah. yeah. I mean... <laughs> totally. I was just curious on your side. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's live. Like it's who yeah. you are. It's yeah. a lot of practice, I think, depending on how you practice. Of course, people... Yeah. But practice is, it has to become part of your life. Yeah. I mean, people do five times practice. You know, first thing, they do this 
routine. You know, two hours later, they do this routine. Three hours later, this, you know, yeah. it's just, oh, it has to be your life. It's like over and over. Over and over, Man, yeah. it's funny how things... I just think that's that's a lot of things in life, how everything looks glamorous from the outside, but when you get on the inside, like breweries, for instance, mm -hmm. like it looks so good. Oh, man, you own a brewery, but awesome. people don't know. It's like, yeah. it's actually 99% manual labor. Of course, of it's like manual, especially this size. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, unless we're so big, we're like pushing buttons, everything just oh, happened. I mean, at this size, it was literally physically, it's physical work, but we oh, need yeah. physical work. We, yeah. we haven't been able, I mean, this society is so much, we've forgot about physical work. It's good for you. It, the, the yeah, yeah. Working with your hands and creating things, it, it's good. I think, I think, from musician to boor, it's a, it's a very interesting transition. It's actually really natural. Yes. It, it's a craft st to start with because imagine hundreds of years ago, you were literally your horn player. Nobody called, say you're a musician, you're an artist. Oh, you yeah. played the horn. Yeah, okay, totally. play yeah. those notes. Yeah. And, uh, and in, a, in a way, there's some of that as well. I think yeah, we yeah. enjoyed <laughs> that kind of craft craftsmanship yeah. as well. You're in the French horn, yeah. primarily male yeah. thing. And then you get you transition to the brewery industry. Mm -hmm. White male. Yeah. I'm thinking about I, every, the, not everybody, the majority of people I think of in the Twin Cities uh -huh. brewery scene. Do you ever feel that same kind of out-of-placeness? I don't know how to word the feeling, but do you ever feel that these yeah. dudes are running the thing? I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's a thing. Of course. All the time. Oh, really? The biggest thing I have complained about this industry um, is the diversity. I mean, first, when we're talking to think of diversity, you know, man was ver versus women. Yeah. Okay? Obviously, you know, it's still a thing, women running a brewery or brew or do anything. Most times when you see women, they're either out there serving beer or they're at men. Yep. You know, or, yep. well, we do have some women CEOs, which yep. is wonderful. Yeah. And, but really rare, rare. And um, then Asian women. Yeah. Because stereotyping had us going not rough, but craft beer is all about rough. You know, okay, what it's you all mean about men. It's about oh. rough. It's about men with the tattoos, with the beards, like a white man trying to against the world. Yes, but they forget like there's some freaking little Asian girls out there trying <laughs> against the world too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? but they forget oh. about them when they come to their world. Like they didn't know what to do. Well, in the beginning, when we go to those events, of course. You know, as a minority, you are very sensitive of your surroundings all the time mm -hmm. because that's just naturally the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'm the only Asian girl. Okay, or, that, okay. So you said that way it is. That's a new thing to me. You mentioned to me months ago where, like, yeah. you feel the feeling that you feel constantly. You're constantly aware. Of course, of you're always aware who, where you are, who the people around you what your behaviors might be and what do people think of you of course oh. constantly yes it's I, I don't think if a majority especially white man in this industry ever think about that because they oh, think I never of, I never think about that yeah. <laughs> just yeah. run my mouth wherever yeah, I am exactly oh, and yeah. for an Asian woman I mean to have an Asian woman where this culture has been 
presented as submissive, good cooks, never speak loud, and the beautiful, they're weak. I mean, all these things yeah. that have been years and years of stereotyping of Asian women suddenly shows up at a very macho or strong for the craft beer industry. Not only strong, of course, it is physical, but we the branding has been um, rebellious. It, yeah. That okay. But little Asian girls can be rebellious. <laughs> yeah. They don't realize there's other kinds of rebellious. Mm-hmm. I mean, the little tiny little a hundred pound Asian girls can be rebellious and drinking fucking craft beer. Yes. You know what I mean? Totally. Or run a brewery, or yeah. come up with ideas. Yes. Of whatever that might be. Yeah. So when you go to those events, first they think you don't know beer. First they think you don't drink beer. Yeah. Right. And then they're all you know. Subtleties, of course, it's hard yeah. for majority of people to understand the subtleties. Yeah. Because you never paid attention, but we always pay attention. Yes. Of the subtlety of judgments, and so okay. First, first the thing is, they think you don't really know beer. That's the first thing I always get. Okay. Like, do you have any specifics? Like, is it? Just the vibe, way, the way people course, say things. Of course, okay. this, it's a sense. Like I said, it would be impossible for a white man like you, super oh. hip, nice looking, to really understand that. <laughs> totally, yeah. You don't understand that. Yeah. And, um, okay, can you think, um, is there a situation that comes to mind at like an event or something where you felt... Or a conversation, or any kind, of, like any kind yeah. of meetup where you felt. Okay, that. every time I go to tap room, if I take something of a time to really study the menu, and people would come out to say, "Oh, we have this beer." I'm like, excuse me, I like fucking hoppy beer. Yes. Yeah. You know, like I know what's up there. I'm just taking time making decisions. Yes. Not like I have no freaking idea what's on the board. Yes. I know. Oh. By the way, maybe I want to know yeah. more about your whatever ever. Yeah. Yeah. Then. Uh, uh, okay, because I've run into that nowhere near on that on your level, but I feel like there is a vibe of sometimes you can go into certain spots, and there is a little bit of a pretentiousness where there or something of maybe a, not pretentious talking down to. There's a yeah. little bit of a talking down to. People are always you, assuming Asian yeah. girl don't drink. That's yeah. first thing. Wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they assume Asian girls don't drink alcohol or yeah. beer. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. And and the second time they're assuming they can't drink women, Asian girls can drink your shit. Yeah. Out. They yeah. can drink. Drink and it under the table. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah. know a lot. But I always get this, which I'm very sick of it. I, that's why I, I sometimes don't go to tap rooms. Because yeah. you go, you're like, oh, I'm trying to study. I've never been here. Like they give the they give the hint, like, oh, this is our like, you know girl beer whatever you know you've had people say that just no, but not necessarily girl beer just like this is something light right yeah, light just the, the stereotypical yeah. girl beer yeah. lighter yeah, invo- yeah oh yeah percentage. you know I'm gonna have one sip and pass out you yeah. know oh yeah and then I did have experiences in the, in, the, in the beer events that people first they when I talk about beer I don't think they really believe I know what I'm talking about <laughs> Kevin's laughing <laughs> They don't think she knows anything. Really? You, you've seen it too? Yeah. Oh, man. They totally don't think she knows anything, but they're wrong. She knows a lot more than they usually know. Man. Right. 
Well, I have done every shit in this tap room. <laughs> totally. I, mean, I moved the kegs. I've shoveled the grains. Oh, I've yeah. cleaned the tanks. Name it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those ideas came from me as well. Yeah. But, but in general, people don't really get it. We were at an event in Northeast. I mean, that was the saddest for me. I was really sad because we were in the Northeast. You would think you're safe, you know, because like I said, you always watch. You always kind of scan your environment. Am I the only one? I'm, it's natural. It doesn't. Yeah. So I you're northeast. It's hard and you, for yeah. other people to really understand yeah. unless you you understand because you have been singled out when you were in China or Japan. That that kind of feeling that you are different. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's unsettling. Oh, Yes, it is super unsettling. Man, yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, yeah, my first, I did not li- enjoy, it was not comfortable being my first yeah. couple times over in China. Because yeah. it's like, I'm, I, it's foreign, I, people, it's, you people don't stare, fit in, people stare, right? totally. You're much taller, you're white, totally. and, you know, everything. I, I've lived in the U.S. for more than 20 years. It still happens. It happens yeah, naturally yeah. because my environment yeah. Yeah. is different. But you assume, okay, you're in Northeast. Like, I'm uh, Minnesota's liberal. It's a little bit more liberal. Most like, liberal. people get I'm more, at a beer yeah. event. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, totally. <laughs> what a beer event. Northeast. Okay, so you're at this beer event. Right. And so we had, you know, I was behind the bar with two other women, actually. And, you know, we, you know, our volunteers and doing yeah. stuff and a talk. And the incident it really made me upset was um, at the end of the night, there was a vendor that was giving away the bread or pretzels they had um, at the end of the night, just given to the vendors, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, which is a sensible thing to do. You're totally, going to throw yeah. it away. Oh, yeah. Why don't we give, give away to people? Cool, right? So I was behind the, the, our booth, which obviously that I kind of belong to the... Mm-hmm present table yeah, whatever yeah. so but I was standing between two two tables and so they came because you're talking you're socializing everybody's there I was talking there. to the guys oh, yeah, you're next door around, yeah. you know oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what you do right oh yeah so this guy came he had this pretzels of bread I can't remember and then he says Gave me, oh, we're giving away to the vendors. And I'm yeah. like oh cool yeah. I'm like oh cool now he's like those are for vendors I'm like uh, what the you think I'm not vendor? Look, I have a band, you know, like <laughs> the totally. And it's just really oh, sad. Man. I mean, it's just so subtle. Yeah. I mean, I think as soon as this person said it, realized yeah. that that was not okay. Yeah. And then um, he felt bad. Oh yeah, instantly. Like oh, right. I'm sure. I, I don't I'm blame sure. that. But man, I was really sad. Oh man. <laughs> You're yeah. like, what do mom makes you think I'm not a vendor? Besides, I'm on this side of the table. I'm kind of between the tables, but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, why do you even say that to me? Yeah. That was what I cried. I mean, I've never really thought... It hurts is when you think you're safe, but you're not. That is the worst. Holy crap. Yes. Yeah. That is... That's so deep. That yeah. is so deep. That's so yeah. heavy. When you feel like you're safe and you let your guard down, yeah. you can just be yourself. You're not having... You're not there in like... You're like, I'm in Northeast... Yeah. Totally. At a craft beer event. Yeah. Because I've been at, at stuff, and there's times where you you know you're kind of in a situation where you need to have your guard up. And you can do that. And I, right? I feel like you can take some right? hits when you're in that situation. Right? You're like, because we yeah. always know where we are, who we are, how we need to behave. I know it oh. sounds weird, but Man. it is life. Yeah. 
And so you're in this thing, and your guard's totally down. And oh, just my guard that was down, hit. and I was uh, drinking freaking beer oh, yeah. in northeast Minneapolis. Uh, okay, you have a... I feel old, actually, there. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you're like, okay, this is my hood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is my place. Mm-hmm. These are my people. Even though, even, exactly, even though I'm the only maybe three Asian or non-white people around. Yeah. yeah. But I still felt part of it. Yeah. I live in Northeast. Yeah. I mean, I'm part of this. Oh, man. That, that really hurt. That little thing, even though it was just one sentence, I think sometimes people don't realize that. Little shit like that, that hurts. That Little shit like that. Oh man. Okay, something I've been thinking a lot about lately is I used to think because I'm so I'm such like a feelings person. Like how like what is uh, there's this there's this quote that says we judge other people by their actions, mm-hmm. but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Okay. So with myself, I think about. I think about that guy and how just offhand it was. I'm right. sure he didn't mean anything by it. He didn't mean to have be like racist or sexist he didn't or mean any of this. To like, hurt totally. But it's stereotyping. But, yep. And so to me, I'm thinking about the overwhelming. I used to think the change that needs to be made or brought or awareness needs to be on actions. Like we need to like stop having people say something like whatever you could say he said. So we need to like change our actions or change such and such but to me it's more I'm realizing lately it's an overall awareness it's like this, yeah. this, the ideas need to change before any mm-hmm. actions change yeah. is there any idea that you or stereotypes that you would love to see changed in like the local brewery scene in the Twin Cities like what would be like a step if you could wow that's a huge question you know it's a well what I want people to think look at me as a person yeah because beer doesn't belong to certain people. Craft beer belongs to everyone. It doesn't, maybe in the marketing department yes. thinks it needs to belong to certain people. Yes. But good beer belongs to everyone. Yes. And give <laughs> people some credit yeah. about fucking beer. Yeah. yeah. It's beer. It's been around for thousands of years. Every culture has made beer. Yeah. Incas, Chinese, you know, Egyptians. Oh, man. Okay, name it. Okay, it doesn't belong to Northeast Minneapolis. doesn't belong to a certain group. It belongs to everyone. And we're just catching up. Yeah. It, people thousands of years ago have been making beer. Incas were chewing corns and spit into the pot, okay? Yeah. Before everybody knew. And Chinese were making rice wine. Yes. And by the way, all women made beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Man, okay. Oh, man. That is... That's never talked about here. It's women's job, it's historically. Beer, historically, yeah. the, it is, was the women's job. Yeah. Man, every time, whenever I travel to another country, uh, I always read a book about the country, whatever I'm in. So lately, whether it's our Belgium trip with you guys yeah. or a Germany trip, yeah. there I had two uh, beer books. Mm-hmm. And one of the big, the, the German beer book that I was reading was talking about that he could not, re- he could not believe that people didn't realize beer making was a woman's thing. It and was, it was never first made macho, in a home. Like you, know? you made it for yeah. your home in small batches. Yeah. And then, then it was like bigger. It's life. Took off. Yeah. yeah. It's a part of life. Yeah. yeah. Which I think it wasn't, I don't know, I'm talking maybe above my pay grade. But I think it wasn't until 
it became like political. Once beer became political yeah. and like a form Man of power, yeah, then, then, dudes, then dudes took over. Yeah, totally. I know, then they want to control it. Yes, totally. <laughs> That's the problem, oh, as always. Okay, I think about myself, uh, and I think, okay, like I'm a white dude, I can't change that. Like so, I'm constantly think I'm thinking in these things of like, okay, I'm white dude, I can't change that. I've got tattoos, I can't grow facial hair, so I don't have the cool beard. Say someone is like a brewer from another brewery or someone that loves going to tap rooms, and they fit the cliche mold, or I don't want to say cliche, they fit the stereotypical mold of that. And I think we're all in this place of I can't change who I am, and I a lot of these people maybe I would give the benefit of the doubt of I'm making beer and I'm branding it because that's just what I think is cool. Sure. I'm making no. the beer I think is cool, and I just it happens to be this kind of subculture stereotype sure. of person. Yeah. What is the awareness like? What is a tactical step people could make in the right direction to promote diversity within this? Industry. I don't know. It's a human thing. We always want to be with people who are like us. Uh, we. Um, I've take groups of people to China, and I always love to take my friends who've never been to China to China to show. And I've always also done groups. I always only thing I asked everybody because people are different. People live. We're the same, and we also have different traditions. We're same two eyes, two ears, one nose, one. Mm -hmm. You know, we have same needs and same things. People need to be open. I never really expect people to like everything they eat in China, they see in China, but realize that things are done differently. But it's okay. Yeah. There's more than one way. To do one thing, yes. and then that's one thing I learned marrying an American. We a lot of times looking at things from different angles, but we want out the result the same. You just have to be willing to accept that. Yeah, that's all. Oh, I am. When you say even things like, you don't expect everybody to like everything, but you want everybody to try. Can't. Everybody should try everything. Yeah, everybody you can't like openness. everything. It's not possible. Yeah. Because w what makes who we are is yeah. how we grew up. Yeah. The things we were fit when we were a little baby. Yeah. And um, how we were shaped by our parents. Our parents were shaped by their parents, by the culture, by the mm -hmm. time, by the geographic, by temperature, by weather, by everything. Yeah. We can't expect everybody to like everything. Yeah. But I just want people to put that my way is the way out of the way. <laughs> Because yes. you know, there's a hell, saying. It's like, hell yes. Yeah. There's a hell saying. Yes. You have uh, ever heard that? Tiao tiao da lu tong luo ma. Of course, we say in China. Yeah, oh, I'm familiar. No, so, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> it means every road goes to. Every road goes to Rome. Okay. Of course, when Rome was, yeah, yeah, because there are many ways to get to Rome. Yeah. Oh man, that's so heavy. Because yes. ultimately, what do you want yeah. is the same as a human being. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you are, how you grow up, what education level. I don't care. But as a human, 
But what makes us interesting is how we we grow up differently. Yes. And that's that's what I love. Of course, at this age in time, talk about globalism. That's what makes human interesting. Yeah. I say the same for the craft beer industry. Yeah. You know, because yeah. people drink different things. Yes. People love different things. Give them benefit of doubt because it is what it is about. Good time sharing with your family and friends, because that's what. Everybody wants. Gosh, you always have a good time when you drink beer or wine or whatever. Yeah. Because ultimately, is that time you spend with people less and less about what's in the glass. Yes, totally. Man, I, maybe first glass. Yeah, the first, the first glass. <laughs> Make the first glass is really Make important. Make the first yeah, glass. Exactly. Because ultimately, is people. Yeah. Man, I, it's funny you said that because I think about. I mean, I think of the time when we were in, uh, not Fusen, where we were, we were in Belgium, where were we? And we were in Ghent. Mm-hmm. And the thought of like, okay, some of the, we, we got like the first beers we had were mm-hmm. like amazing. We're like sipping them. And by the end of the night, we were drinking like the crappiest beer yeah. Belgium had. <laughs> right, it but it doesn't matter. matter. It didn't matter no, yeah. because it's about the human connection. It totally because, is. you know, at that time, we yeah. were at the, our basic level, having a good time, had to go to the bathroom every five minutes, yeah. <laughs> need to munch. You know, uh, it's the same. Totally. I don't yes. care what skin yeah. color, what background. Yeah. That is what that is about. To oh, me, man. that is what. That is the reason I'm doing this podcast, is because I'm convinced that curiosity would, like a genuine sense of curiosity in people, would solve 99% of the world's problems. Yeah. It would, like racism, anything we're talking about, yeah. it would, if you are curious enough to say to yourself, well, maybe the way the things I do and the, the way I like things aren't the way everybody does this, and maybe it's not I have it right and everybody else has it wrong. Yeah, that makes you grow. Oh yeah. Because that makes you look at things differently. That makes you think, oh, he is thinking from this way, I'm thinking from that way, Yeah. but we want ultimate That's a good thing, thing. yeah. But if you're not open to accept yeah. the other person's way, yeah. it can be dangerous not only for marriage and for relationships and I mean, yes. on the broader sense then that's when war yes. has happened oh, yeah. and, and, totally. wars are a little bit more complicated than that yeah. but, yeah. But, but that's when conflicts yeah. happen yeah because yeah. you think you are right everybody's yeah. wrong yeah. hey guys <laughs> of course I'm all with why is it the, why are the intros so hard? Because you're trying too hard. Okay, anyways. Hey guys, this is Rob. <laughs> Sarah is here with me, obviously, making fun of me and my mumbling over words. And I just before I let you go, I wanna say a massive, huge thank you to Chusha. I don't know, for being vulnerable, sharing some of these stories that have happened to her and her experiences. And I I'm super thankful for that. And I feel like it's only through that vulnerability sharing those these stories with me and me sharing them with you that change can happen in myself and hopefully the way some of us view some of these topics that we've talked about anyways thank you chusha reminder to all of you listen we love the craft brewing industry and the craft beer brewing scene uh i read a business book recently that talked about you have in conflict or when things are happening to you you have three three options silence and just let it go and just do your work keep your head down number two is you can lean into it 
and make change and discuss the hard things. Number three is you can leave and just choose not to be a part of it. And I hope people listening to this view this as a number two. Let's lean into this. I hope this starts some conversations between us and is a reflection of our love for this industry and the people within it. Uh, if you connected with the part of her story that she talked about uh, transitioning from being a professional musician in the Minnesota Orchestra and playing around, uh, I've actually interviewed quite a few people that talk about these jumps, these transitions in their lives, uh, and it's been some awesome mental oxygen for myself. So if you're looking for that kind of stuff, I recommend checking out Jim Albinson. He's a mortician. I interviewed him in question 19. Nate Larson, a photographer in question 21. Scott Dillon, question 13. He left General Mills and a great job to start his own company, making shrubs. What the hell are shrubs? Check it out, listen to that question. Or my good friend Lucas Meek, who is a touring production manager. I talked with him, question number nine, about transition and things he was thinking about while in the middle of that. I don't know. I just wanted to give you some of those options as you look a little bit deeper in that. Love to hear from you. Check out the website. As always, thanks for listening. Sarah's bored sitting here watching me and starting to rub her face on the microphone. <laughs> I was resting my head. <laughs> thanks for listening. Hey guys, this is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. It's pretty cool. You can click on it. You can see where these have done. If you want to go visit them, if you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. Also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever you, you, you know, the drill. All right. Enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast or else I'd have to tell you podcasting makes me thirsty and nothing quenches a podcast thirst whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. Alright. That's it. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Thanks for being here. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs>
Say the most random thing you can think of. No. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. <laughs> Perfect.